Hey everyone, welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am so happy to be joining you today from my front porch with David Peck, um, my friend, fashion designer and small shop, not even small, but it is technically a small shop owner here in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the show, David Peck. Thank you for having me. So I should clarify that David and I are talking over Zencaster, which he actually introduced me to. If you're interested in starting a podcast during this time, because I know there is a lot of elevated interest, we just all want to connect with each other and maybe start a new project. Zencaster is an amazing platform. Um, it's already been super easy to connect with David. I've tried, I tried Skype actually. So I have done one other quarantined interview. It just seems like it was 900 years ago. So I didn't realize it was actually during the quarantine. I did it over Skype. I actually can tell you that I already prefer this. Um, it's a great tool. So, um, sitting on my front porch right now, joining you, we're about two weeks, two and a half weeks into quarantine. Um, and I, I just did an Instagram live about this, that, you know, somebody asked me how things are going and how we're doing. And it's like, you know, I'm loving, I have to tell you, I really am loving the time that I'm getting to be with my family and to be with my girls. I've never been so physically exhausted in my entire life. Um, as far as just like the manual, like the intense labor that goes into parenting two girl, two very small children who are at home all day long, um, and not really being able to do all the things we're used to being able to do with them. Um, and yes, I'm outside, so you're going to hear my neighbor's dogs barking and everything throughout this whole um, podcast. So please excuse that. Um, but it also feels like somebody was born, like somebody that I really love died, and somebody that I really love was born on the same day. Like there's just this grief that comes in waves, and it's this feeling of anxiety that, oh my gosh, um, nothing's ever going to be the same, and and what are we going to do? And like, what if it doesn't go back to this? And what's going to happen with this? And then there's also this feeling, I have to tell you, more relief than I ever imagined with life completely coming to a halt. Um, I had no idea how quickly I was moving and how um, sort of distracted I was and how impossible it was for me to slow down in the way that I really wanted to slow down in a meaningful way in my life. And like my family, we've been having family dinners every night. Ben has been cooking every night. We've been together like all the time. And it's all I ever wanted in the world that we were living in before. Um, and it, it wasn't going to happen, like not with how fast we were moving and how um, much of a race it felt like everybody was in. And I was even talking to my mom. She probably moves faster than anybody I've ever met in my life. And it's she's older than I'm allowed to mention, but it's taken her a very, very long time for anything to stop her and make her feel like, you know what? I don't want to go back to going that fast again. After this is over, I'm never doing that again. And she said that to me today. Um, so one of the things that's really struck me um, as far as moving fast goes is fast fashion, um, which is what I'm really excited to talk to David about today. Um, you know, over the past year, I think, especially in the past year, as we've become more aware that the conversations that we have um, bring up certain types of advertisements on our phones through Facebook and Instagram. I have two young children. I'm always talking about them. I'm talking about the clothes that I buy for them, the dresses, whatever. I, I st I've been getting ads from more and more companies um, advertising really inexpensive, very adorable clothing for young girls. And, um, you know, I've always been aware that Zara and H&M and stars like that, um, stores like that are considered fast fashion. Um, but I've always had a hard time, you know, not shopping there because they have great clothes and they're really inexpensive. And I, lo I love Zara so much. Everyone knows that about me. But then these other little stores started creeping up into my newsfeed. Um, they'd have really cute names like Lenny Lemons and like, I'm making this up, but like Maybell and like things that make you think that like there's this little designer in Michigan who's sitting in her house and she's 
making all these cute little kitschy clothes. David's laughing. And they really look like that. And I would order some stuff for my girls because it's like, how could you not? Just so adorable. And this stuff would show up on my doorstep and it would look absolutely nothing like the image that I saw. Um, The quality would be so horrible and it would just smell like so horribly of chemicals that even washing it wouldn't make me feel comfortable putting on putting it on one of my children. And the package would have come straight from China. And so if you do any type of math, if you know anything about shipping, if I pay ten dollars for a tiny dress and it was shipped here directly from China, um, the person who made it is that they're getting paid nothing or like less than a dollar to make it. I mean, I don't know unless like for some reason it's free to ship here. Highly doubt it. It's not. So I I really like started getting extremely grossed out and upset (laughs) by this practice and how much more common it was becoming. And even seeing like these fashion bloggers coming across my feed with lines for adults, you know, we've all heard the names of these clothing companies that we see these influencers pushing constantly for us to buy clothes that we're going to wear like between two and five times. And then we're going to get rid of them. So I started doing some research in preparation for this interview. By 2019, over 10% of our landfills were filled with clothing. Um, Clothing basically that has been been produced by the fast fashion industry because there's nowhere for it to go. Um, China used to be, you know, the country that recycled textiles and they stopped accepting these textiles. They will not accept these recycled textiles anymore. There's too much, there's too much of it. Um, It's, fast fashion is the second largest culprit of carbon emissions and essentially global warming um, in the world. So most people I think would be pretty surprised by that statistic. Anyway, the coronavirus hits and everything comes to a halt. The first thing I notice is, oh my God, I don't need any clothes because we're not going anywhere for a really long time. And like most other families, we're saving our money. Um, We're only buying the things that we really need right now. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen economically. We don't know when the world's going to resume again. So we're being conservative. And um, I'm certainly not going to be buying something that's of a low quality that I'm only going to be wearing two or three times because I don't even have anywhere to go. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not I'm not wearing I'm not wearing my cute clothes anywhere. Most of us are in our pajamas all day. Um, I have been getting dressed, but I haven't been. um I haven't been like thinking, oh, yeah, like I need new outfits. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not seeing anybody. Um, So I felt excited about that. I actually felt like, okay, this actually could be one of the things that comes out of this that is for the common good. And I'm not talking about any, I'm not talking about our retailers that we love so much who create these beautiful quality garments for us to wear every day. I'm talking about this practice that is completely depleting our resources using like, millions and millions and billions of gallons of water to create these garments, to dye these garments. The chemicals that dye these garments are destroying our planet. Um, And all of us have been asked to take this giant pause um, and ask ourselves and just look at our previous behavior. And this is one of those behaviors that I think is going to be questioned, perhaps to the point of just maybe even stopping. So David shared something on Instagram the other day, speaking to this point, and I'm really excited, David, to have you on the show. I want to hear about how your business is doing. And I also want to hear about your take on the fast fashion industry and why you think the coronavirus, um, this pandemic could actually change fast fashion as we know it. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting conversation to be having, especially now. It's one that I've been interested in for a very long time. I think even as early as being in school studying fashion, I began to become interested in sustainability. 
Um, and it's something that has constantly inspired me and motivated me to try to do better throughout my career. And that's taken on different forms and shapes as my business has morphed and changed, um, as is wont to do in any entrepreneurial endeavor. But I think that what has really been interesting about the coronavirus is that it has eliminated the main excuse that most of fashion has been bringing up is that there are too many systems in place and it would take too much to stop it and change it. Well, <laughs> welcome Corona. Yeah, um, here we go. Welcome so Corona. Here we go. <laughs> so it, it's kind of an interesting uh, dilemma that I think that a lot of companies are going to, from the high end to the low end, um, fast fashion companies are going to have to wrestle with because most like high-end designers are looking at skipping a season, if not two. Um, and for those of you who don't know what a season is, it basically means we typically sell seasonal clothes. We sell summer, winter, fall, winter, and then in between are maybe resort collections. Um, and many of these designers are having to skip a season um, of showing clothes. So typically in February, March, um, at the latest, you are seeing clothes for fall. And um, those are being developed almost a year ahead of time. So by the time, from the time a designer actually designs a garment to the time it ends up in a store is typically 18 to 24 months, um, which is kind of a really insanely long lean time, which is something that these fast fashion companies have sort of circumnavigated by creating these very quick um, production chains that kind of mimic and copy what's going on and turning it around really fast. And they're not really looking at demand as much as they are, let's get all this out and see what sells and do it as quickly and as cheaply as possible, which, as you alluded to, creates a ton of waste. There's a beyond the waste and sort of what it's doing to the environment, there's a lot of social injustice that's happening, um, a lot of trafficking, human trafficking. Um, you know, several years ago, we had these horrible factory collapses in Bangladesh that killed thousands of people all in the name of fast fashion. And there are many documentaries on both Amazon Prime and Netflix that talk about fast fashion. If you're really interested in going into the horrible uh, practices that go beyond that. But I think there is something that we have kind of developed as a culture is this idea that everything has to be new and trend. And like, I even got to the point, I'm like, what is a trend? Because it's like, everything is a trend all at the same time. And then every week it's something else. And how do you even begin to keep up with it? And we've sort of lost this idea of dressing well and having a sense of style and having clothes that we really value and cherish and we know who made them. And we've become so disconnected from the source of our clothing that it it becomes almost just one of those things we consume without meaning. And I think in many ways it could be related to um, other addictions like alcoholism, food disorders, things like that. I think as a society, we have really kind of distanced ourselves so much from the making of our clothes that they become not meaningful anymore. And so this whole idea that everything has ground to a halt, we don't actually need anything. I mean, need can be is very loosely, we don't really ever need anything in most developed countries, but our perception of what we need has come to a screeching halt. And I feel like 
it's a really good opportunity for us to reevaluate what is it that we want out of our clothing? What is it that we want to feel about our clothing? And do we really want to go back to this way of consuming that is mindless and void of meaning? Well, I'm so happy that you said that because going back to what you said about it being like an, any kind of addiction, um, I feel like every single person on this planet, the second this quarantine began, entered some sort of state of withdrawal. Like mm-hmm. we were all addicted to something that our outside world was providing us that wasn't sustainable. And for many of us, it was this sort of compulsive consumption. Um, the reason why fast fashion exists is because, you know, the GDP has gone up. People have more money than they used to, and they're buying clothes at a much faster rate. And mm-hmm. for what reason? And it's like this machine and like this hole that can't be filled. And I've always been aware of that in myself. Like, I don't really need all this stuff I'm buying. I don't need to be going to Target so often. Um, but then everything comes to a stop and you're like, whoa, like, first of all, I really don't need any of this stuff. Second of all, I really shouldn't be buying it right now. Um, and there's like this withdrawal, this sort of like feeling of letting go of something that separated you from your feelings. And after that comes the actual, like feeling what's actually going on right now and being present and showing up for it. I've been reading, um, Glennon Doyle's third memoir, Untamed, which is currently number one on the bestsellers list, um, the New York times bestsellers list. And she said, oh my, it's absolutely, it's phenomenal. And, um, she talks about how, you know, she is a, She's been in recovery for a very long time. She's a sober alcoholic and um, that she once met a woman who, you know, the worst thing in the entire world happened to her. Her daughter got sick, one of her two daughters, um, or maybe she had three daughters. I'm not totally sure, but um, one of them got sick um, with cancer and uh, she decided that she absolutely just couldn't handle it and, and started drinking heavily. And she drank through her daughter's entire illness and eventual death and through all the emotions that her other children were going through at the time. And Glennon was saying like, you know, I fear that one day this woman will, will decide to like wake up to stop drinking and it, and looking at that moment in her life that she wasn't present for that will almost be too much to bear that she won't be able to stay present. And like, that just fell on top of me because <laughs> I just like thought about how important it is. Like if we do nothing else here, we're here to experience our lives and we're here to be present and to show up. And like up until very recently, I almost think that we've been like the opposite has been pushed at us from every influencer we follow, just that like the more we have, the more we consume. I mean, even those of us who don't think that we're vulnerable to that type of messaging, you couldn't avoid it. Like it was just everywhere Mm -hmm. that like you have to keep on buying all of this crap all the time in order to have whatever it needs, whatever you need in order to be happy. And um, the truth is like happiness is really on the other side of that. And everyone becomes an influencer, right? We're all kind of pushing our stuff on everybody else. And like, it's actually been really interesting to me because I do have a few that I follow, like moms of multiple children who I, I love what they get their kids. And like, it, I like following along with like whatever they're getting that's entertaining their children and whatever outfits they're getting their kids. And um, it's so interesting watching them go through this time because there's one woman I follow who has five kids. And this is the first time I'm seeing her entire Instagram is all of a sudden of her kids. Like she's had five kids Mm -hmm. this entire time and she's been talking about all the stuff she buys, like to parent them adequately. And now that there's nothing really to buy and there's nothing to do besides be inside with your children, she's actually like in it. She's like in the shit with her kids. She's like doing all the stuff. And it's like, this is real life. Like this is, you know, this is 
what we're all like really supposed to be doing here. And um, I'm not saying, listen, if I could like have the ideal outcome of all of this, it would be that we resumed life as we knew it, you know, several months down the road after the coronavirus is no longer a threat to anybody's health. And that we just went into life with the intention, with intentionality, like an intention and a set of intentions we hadn't had up until this point that we are able to shop again, but shop with intention to buy things that really matter to eat, feed ourselves in a way that really um, nourishes our body and also cares and respects the animals on this planet. Like even, you know, my daughter as a family, we've been talking more about like where our food comes from. We weren't having those conversations before this happened. I wasn't even, I was going too fast to even think about it. Yeah. Um, and like the fact that we've slowed down and actually, you know, been able to evaluate all these things. I hope that, you know, it's like we've been flooded and the good stuff will sink, will come, will float to the top. Um, the good stuff being the way that we connect with each other, the way that we support each other through um, capitalism, but having conscious capitalism, um, the way that we were mindlessly consuming. I mean, it wasn't working for any of us. I think that's just become like abundantly clear um, that yeah. it was just like destroying our planet and filling this hole that like was in our imaginations, essentially. Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a, uh, I, what I have been saying uh, is that the real tragedy beyond the lives that are being lost in this um, pandemic is if we don't stop and evaluate our lives and come out of this with a better perspective and intentionality on our lives. Um, I think that that would be the biggest tragedy of all to have lost that time and, um, to be disconnected from our current state after it. And I think that so much of it, this kind of trauma that we're going through maybe initially and in getting used to being quarantined or, you know, in self-isolation or whatever you want to call it um, and kind of getting used to this new normal. I think the, our initial response maybe when all this is over is to kind of go wild on the other side of it. But I would hope that we would, really take this time to be intentional about changing our habits in this this time and becoming much more conscious of what we consume, why we consume it, um, what motivates us to consume different things. Um, obviously, with any sort of radical change in your life, you have moments, you go through this grief process, you know, life as we know it has ended. And that takes something to get through that. You know, I think some people are more adept at doing that than others. Um, but once you get through those stages of grief and kind of start this new normal, you know, it could be just as easy when all this is over to forget all of that. And I really, really hope that people just take this time to not just, you know, at a certain point, I think we are going to get bored of scrolling through Instagram five hours a day um, yeah. and looking at everything. Like at a certain point, it's not going to be fulfilling. And maybe this is a really good thing. Um that, you know, because I found myself before all of this and, you know, I even still struggle with it now is like, you know, it's just so easy to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling um, with no intention. I, there's nothing I'm trying to do or get from it or learn. I'm not searching for some specific topic. I'm just seeing what comes up. And that's there's so little purpose in that. And I think for us to truly be successful, I think successful people have purpose and intention and I would hope that we would have found our purpose and intention in this time of being quiet and disconnected so that we, when we come out of it, we can create a world 
that is better for all and that has um, intentionality and that we create these, we've created these communities online and I, I would hate for us to have lost it um, when we get out to it, to get beyond this and kind of go back to this helter skelter pace of, of life that I don't think any of us really enjoy um, if we truly, you know, back away from it. We do it because it's sort of expected of us, but is it, I don't know how much joy it's actually manifesting in our lives. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I was really aware of that, but I had no idea. If you listen to all of my podcast interviews really up until this one, um, there's so much, you know, if you know me well, or even if you don't, like there was so much searching that I felt like I was doing. Um, the theme of almost every interview I did was our lives are so fast paced. And as mothers, how are we really supposed to make it work? And like, here mm -hmm. I am. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, it was impossible. That was the answer. Like, right. it was impossible. And there's no like, there are very, very few people who are able to actually genuinely thrive and be happy in that type of pressure, in that type of pressured environment. And um, I definitely wasn't one of them. And I didn't realize that I knew that I had, you know, the desire to slow down in a lot of ways, but I didn't know how to do it. Um, I'll be candid. We had, um, we had help with our kids that I was very uncertain if I even wanted, because it felt like it felt like too much, but I didn't know how to let go of it because our lives were moving so quickly that if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be able to like really survive. And yeah. the second everything shut down, that was like the first thing that we decided to let go of. And it's like, oh my God, I'm just so much happier this way. This wasn't something I ever wanted to outsource. Um, and it just has brought such an interesting perspective. And I, I know like so many people are really feeling that right now. So you've always, you know, your, your designs and you've been in, how long have you been a fashion designer for like over way over a decade, like two decades? How long? Um, yeah, almost two. I mean, I started school in Paris. It was my second degree in 2003. So 17 years ago, but I was working the entire time I was in school. Um, so but then I've been always, in Houston. This is my 10th year in Houston. Yeah. I mean, you've always had these absolute, I mean, every piece that you make is made with such love and care and it's made right here in your own shop by people you employ, which I love. Um, I've never worn something that you've designed that I haven't gotten like a million thousand compliments on because it's all made for real actual human beings. And it's so beautiful. Um, where does this leave you and other retailers like you who aren't supported by a major corporation? Um, where, where are you at right now? Like what's going on? Strangely, I mean, we can talk about during Corona and post Corona. Um, post Corona, I feel very optimistic. And one of the reasons I feel very optimistic is that I think that I have been planning for and gearing my business for this very moment for years. Um, it's something that I kind of felt coming. Um, and it's for, for various reasons. It's conversations with clients and understanding what their needs and wants were. Um, we have so many clients, especially in this past year, who are like, I have gone to every department store and I am so frustrated. And obviously department stores are chock full of clothes, but they couldn't find anything, which is a strange paradox. And um, everyone carries the same thing. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But the main thing is that it used to be that 
designers would limit the number of any one style that was bought so that it felt exclusive. And, you know, maybe you would have a version of it at one department store, but it would be different in another one. And you would never have too many in the same city. And like there was a thing with zip codes, you could never, you know, you could only have certain numbers of styles in this zip code. And um, that's kind of all gone out the window with e-commerce. Every store has gotten into it. And so everyone buys the same and designers for, you know, practical reasons want to produce as many of one style as they possibly can because it's economically cheaper and margins are non-existent in fashion as it begin to begin with and so you end up with this ubiquity and lack of uniqueness uh throughout your shopping world and so our clients would come in and you know they're not spending an in uh a lack of it's not that they have a lack of money to spend on clothes. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. They they have resources, um, but they were choosing not to spend them on some of these designer brands and shop with us because they felt like it wasn't special anymore and it didn't feel unique. And they were lacking the experience that perhaps they had used to have, or at least their mothers had you know, shopping with their person at Neiman's or Saks at these big department stores and having, you know, things exclusively pulled for them. And a lot of that has gone away just because these department stores cannot keep up. Um, I mean, a big sign of that, and what was kind of shocking and sad for me is that Barney's, you know, is no existence and not in existence anymore. And Barney's was the store where every small designer wanted to be because they bought the unique, they bought the unexpected and um, they sort of went down that route and they lost their, their way and it, it doesn't exist anymore. And a lot of these big department stores are on the verge of closing and it'll be really interesting to see how they survive if they survive this pandemic, because I don't really know how they will. Um, their business model really isn't suited to it. And being small and nimble and doing what we do um, has really allowed for a lot more flexibility in what we do. We don't produce an inexpensive product um, by any means. It's, and I understand that you know not everyone can afford what we do, but I do feel like there is a place for what we do. And we tend to de- design clothes for special occasions, momentous events in people's lives, whether it's a wedding or a gala, if they're chairing it. Um, they're the mother of the bride, they're the bride themselves. Um, there's these big moments in people's lives that we are designing for and they tend to invest more and they want to feel a certain way. Um, and that's how we've gotten to know our clients. And beyond that, they become, you know, clients of other things, of day wear, easy things. Um, but we built relationships with them and we've sort of been able, because we're small, to cater what we're creating to them. And we don't do seasonal collections like traditional designers. We sort of make what we have. Um, We source as we need. Um, So we're not carrying a lot of inventory. Like if I wanted to have a huge blowout sale, there wouldn't be that much inventory to be able to sell because we just simply don't carry it. It's basically mostly made to order. And I think beyond Corona, that that kind of business model is going to be much more financially viable and also something that people crave because I do feel like there is intentionality and there it, it's clothes that respond to each 
individual's body and you know it's being created for them crafted for them there's a, even the process of having something made is so special because you're seeing the garment develop along the way it's not just like oh i've got to pick the dress or say yes to this dress it's created and crafted with love for you and your personality and the more we get to know our clients the more we can infuse their personality and wants into the final garment um so post corona i feel very confident that what we're doing is going to be what people crave because I, i don't think the luxury market is going to go away but i really do hope this obsession with labels and brand names on everything will I, I i think that it just it doesn't speak to luxury it speaks to an obnoxious display of wealth in many cases um and i think that's a good thing i think that you know and it's this is all cyclical this has happened before the 2008 recession happened and celine became really popular this you know really minimalist chic thing was very but as the as the economy got better we went to more opulence and gucci with you know everything all over the place which i loved you know the the aesthetic of it i think it's it's you know there was something really beautiful about it but you know we're coming back to this sense of quiet luxury and i think that bodes very well um for us and and companies like us that are trying to be very intentional about what we create so i'm pressing start okay so i just reconnected to my wi-fi on my end cuz i know for a lot of you, that was might have been a little bit spotty, but hopefully this is going to be um, easier for you guys to hear. So if you missed any of that, um, David was just talking about the intentionality of um, certain fashion merchandisers and um, and retailers and creators, and that um, you know a lot of people are growing have been growing really dissatisfied with these big box retailers and um, wanting to have just items that they care about and treasure, and that's certainly been like. Or how I've been feeling like lately, you know, thinking about once I transition back into shopping more regularly, that it's going to be, you know, I, I kind of feel like grossed out when I think about <laughs> the yeah. volume that I was consuming just in every area of my life, not even just, um, not just clothing, but that it's like almost like once you've come out of it, it's almost like impossible to go back. It, it like stings to think about. And I know like, you said, you know, we've been here before, like in 2008, Celine came out and like was a really minimalist design and people were into it during the recession. And like we all, we, the, the economy ebbs and flows, but for some reason, you know, this feels far more significant to me. I was younger, obviously we were all younger in 2008, but I was really young and very naive. I was in, I was in college and I didn't really understand the weight of what was going on in the world around me. So this just like definitely feels more significant. So you you're in your shop. You've actually transitioned right now. You're are you full time making masks for hospital employees? We are. So last week we finished up um, any appointments that had been outstanding or very beginning of last week. Um, people who still wanted to come in, we had given everyone the option of not coming in. Um, and I think moms especially are very you know that you want to hope against hope that the wedding's not going to be postponed or canceled. And, um, but once we realized like, you know, this is done, um, it was, it, we had been talking about the idea of masks for a while. And I was very hesitant to start the project because I felt like the ones that I had been seeing, was like, what can they actually do? 
you know, their cotton. And I just didn't understand how that was going to protect. I mean, now we, I think I've come to an understanding that anything is better than nothing, especially in the lack with the lack of resources that we're in. Um, so I had spent a lot of time thinking about it, but as I read more, researched more, talked to people who are in the medical field, and it, it became increasingly clear that there was going to be a massive shortage of um, protective equipment. I felt like there was something that needed to be done. And so through my research, I found this non-woven um, fabric that actually it's the same kind of fabric our garment bags are made out of. And then I briefly toyed with the idea of like, do I cut apart all the garment bags <laughs> that I just ordered and turn them into masks. Right. And I realized like <laughs> how insustainable that would be and how costly it would be. And I was like, but where can I get that fabric? Um, and I realized that it's the same fabric that they used in landscaping to prohibit weeds from growing. Um, and so I ran to Home Depot, found the, the fabric and created a prototype and it worked. And, um, you know, we started producing masks and originally like with the amount of material that I was able to buy, I was like, okay, we can do 1,250 masks. And by the next day I realized like, okay, we're getting so many requests for these masks. We're going to up it to 3,600. And then yesterday we got a request from the Houston fire marshal who wants 4,000. So it's, it's really, I feel like we've kind of, we're on the, the tip of the iceberg. We really, can't see what the enormity of this is and how um, great the need is. And I'm hoping that the manufacturers of the actual, you know, N95 masks that can actually help stop the spread of this virus more effectively, you know, I, I hope that they're going to be catching up very soon. But until then, you know, the masks that we're doing can't replace an N95, but they can prolong the life by because they're designed to cover an N95 mask. And you can actually add filters inside of ours too. So if you don't have an N95, you can, there's different ways to use it. But um, yeah, it, it, we have fully transitioned. So everybody in our team is doing something related to masks. So even our marketing and salesperson, like she has become the point person for all of the people who are asking for donations and she's scheduling pickups and drop-offs and um, how many they need and, you know, trying to make sure that we are fulfilling them as fast as possible. And then, um, you know, everyone else on the team is basically either cutting and or sewing these masks, um, doing it, you know, as quickly as possible. And on this, we're recording this on Tuesday and our last Friday, we started delivering our first small batch. And then yesterday we shipped out a whole bunch and then today even more. And then hopefully by the end of this week, we'll have, you know, thousands delivered and right now what's holding us back is we are limited on our elastic supply i've ordered thousands and thousands of yards of it but it, it, it needs to arrive um so it, it's this project that I, I don't see an end to and i'm in many ways selfishly grateful for it because it has given us a sense of purpose and it has given my team something to do um and we feel like our design skills can kind of come of use even though we're not medically trained professionals um so it, it's been a really wonderful thing to have in my life in this time because i think if i didn't have it i would be in a state of panic and what am i going to do and how am i going to survive as a small business i can't pay my people and like you know but even just having something to do even if i don't know how i'm going to pay for it um is 
incredibly rewarding and just it's that idea of having purpose i think when you have purpose and you have a mission then it becomes incredibly clear what you need to do and like the figuring it out everything is figure outable um kind of comes into play and and you make it work well i think it's so amazing you were able to do what you just described being you know, what all businesses need to be doing, which is finding a way to really make yourself useful for whatever situation we're facing and being versatile. And you've taken this, you know, this depart, this store that you have, and you've allocated all of your resources to making these masks that, that everyone is so in need of right now. And I just think that that's amazing. And, and you're also putting yourself into this other project. And you were saying like, you know, even though it's not necessarily generating the income that I was making before, it's like something for me to do where I feel like I'm part of the solution. Um, I've like, I've never been more grateful that I like, usually if you told me that I was going to be staying home for like indefinitely with both of my children with absolutely no help or breaks, I would be like, excuse me, what did you just say? <laughs> but, um, it's never like, I've never been, I'm, I'm absolutely exhausted by the end of the day. Like I've used every fragment of energy in my body and I've never been more grateful to be able to say that. Like I have, yeah. this is my post. I got to take care of these kids. I got to give them like a okay experience. I'm going to do the best I can um, through this quarantine. It's taken everything in me. And I don't have very much time to think about what I'm afraid of because I'm making this a story for them to remember. Like, you know, this has to be the time where they remember building forts and all of this fun stuff that they did during that time we were all stuck at home. And like, that's what parents do for their kids. And that's my that's my mission right now. Um, and, and yours like is just so incredible. And and are you giving these masks to local Houston hospitals? Or are you sending them nationwide? Where are they going? It's been everywhere so far. So we have a huge demand here in Houston. Um, and that was my primary focus, but then we, you know, Houston is such a, uh, connected city that we actually sent two rather large boxes to San Francisco yesterday. Um, all over Texas, like it, it's sort of, you know, it, it, the need doesn't end. Like we've, I've been in contact with people who are like, I need to get more to New York. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hard. It's, it's, I'm, and it's not quite Sophie's choice, but it's, it feels like, where do you begin to fulfill the need and, you know, who really needs them? And um, our mission is to be able to get these into the hands of medical professionals as quickly as possible and for free. Um, you know, like that has been our main mission, um, to be able to do that and wherever that is, like we'll, we will do it. But then, you know, there's now we're, we're looking into making surgical gowns and it's just kind of crazy to think that, you know, we as a country are in this position where we are not prepared, which is a, a whole nother conversation in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But, you know, it feels good to be able to use whatever skills we have, whatever resources we have to make a small difference um, and and feel like we have purpose. And, you know, hopefully, you know, these are going to save some lives and you, you never know. You know, you hope that what you're doing is making a, a small dent, at least. Um, well, so, you know, what you do when you're not making masks is you design clothing for special occasions. Yes. Um, I'm just curious to get your perspective. Do you, when you imagine us in the future, once this is over, which hopefully it will be, um, do you see us going back to having 
a lot of in-person. I mean, there are a lot of people who are worried about in-person connection coming to a halt, that people are going to get used to the screen, like connecting through screens. They're not going to want to gather anymore. Um, I don't, I'll, I can tell you my own opinion on that, but I'm just curious to hear yours from the industry that you're in. Do you see us continuing to gather in the way that we did before, the amount that we did before? What do you see that looking like? I do. I do. I don't think that in-person gatherings are going to come to an end. In fact, I think we may see more of it. I think we might see the exact opposite. I think what people are responding to now online is a sense of community and making the time for it. Like who yeah. had time to have like virtual like happy hours in person, but yet people are making time. They have the time now to do them in, uh, virtually. And I yeah. think we, we are start, we hopefully will learn during this time how much we have been denying ourselves and how much joy we have been depriving ourselves by saying we are too busy. Um, oh my God. Yeah. I've seen so many memes. Like my introverted friends are like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry for all the things I canceled. Like, and stayed in. <laughs> like I, I got, but you know, what's funny though, David, is that like, I believe, I agree with you that like the stuff that we really cherish, but we don't make time for, we're going to do so much more of that. We're going to see the people. I mean, I was just FaceTiming with my best friend from when I was two and a half and my best friend from when I was in third grade. Um, they ended up going, they didn't know each other growing up. They went to college together and they became best friends and we were all just FaceTiming. Like we've never done that before. Um, and like we've never, yeah, we've never talked to each other this much. Um, and we're doing it now. And like one of them, the one, the one from third grade, she's getting married in January. I'm like, there's no way I'm not going to be there. I got to be honest with you before all this happened, I might've been on the, you know, can I really get there? Like, even though she's so important to me, we have two kids, life's so crazy. Can we find someone to watch them? It might not have been like, I might not have understood how important it is to really make this time and space for what really matters. But on the other hand, like, I have no time to do things that I don't want to do to see people that I didn't want to see. My husband mm-hmm. just came outside. So you're hearing the, the door. Um, <laughs> hey ben. But um, I, I can't even like, I can't even imagine there were things that there were gatherings I was participating in that feels like it feels like nails on a chalkboard right now, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, oh, yeah. And those are the things that I think are going to fall to the wayside, the fluff, the stuff that we really just didn't, that just didn't work with work for us. It's like the stuff that doesn't work is going to fall away. And, and that's yeah. like my greatest hope with all of this. I think so. And I personally have been on this path um, for a while now. Um, you know, when you, especially when you first start a business, you're looking at any way to market it and get out there. And like, for those of you who don't live in Houston, Houston revolves around events and um, every hour there's another event you could be attending. Um, All the time. All the time. Like if you want to be busy in Houston, like you could go to five events a night and like not run out of events to go to. Those Um, are the kind of events you're kind of thinking like, oh my God, I can't. I can't do it. And I had already gotten to that point. I think kids had started like the, the having kids myself is, that's kind of that was the beginning that was the beginning for me no like yeah my first pregnancy was like when I finally got that excuse like oh I'm pregnant I can't go yeah um that was the beginning for me of the end of doing the SHIT because I don't want to have to censor this episode of stuff that I don't like that I don't want to participate in but there's like a whole other layer coming to the surface right now yeah and I I have really become intentional about um who we help 
how we help them. And like over the past year, especially, we've focused really hard on developing deeper relationship with relationships with organizations we care about and figuring out how can we develop them and how can we mutually benefit each other rather than spreading ourselves thin and trying to be involved with every organization in town because it's so easy. Um, and so for me, that has really been paring it down to yeah, you know, the you ones that make the out. most impact. Right. Right. Oh. You said that you came, you, you just, kind of came to the conclusion. Sorry, I'm, our audio is messing up here. Um, I didn't mean to talk over you. <laughs> you said that you said <laughs> that um, you kind of had stopped doing, <laughs> you said technical difficulties. You said that you had kind of stopped doing that a while ago. Was there something that prompted that for you? Just this like this decision to back off of things that weren't jiving with your soul? If you will? Yeah, I got tired and I was like, this doesn't bring me joy. And yeah, I, exactly. I, there are still more things that I like doing yeah. than my wife does. <laughs> She's like, really? Oh, I have to go that one. Um, but, you know, and, but I, so I, even as much of an introvert as I am, there's certain social things that I, I really do love to, to go to and do. And like theater is really important to me. And um, I can't imagine, I want to make more time for those things. And it's not a matter of yeah, exactly. not doing anything it's that i want to do the things that i enjoy doing more and uh, you know i want to create deeper relationships with people and get to know them and like i don't want to just like do something for a nonprofit without knowing how is it really impacting them and how can i help with even my small platform spread their message and like tell other people about what they're doing and like really have in you know inside knowledge about how what the work that they're doing is impacting, especially our city. And for me, that was just more important than just like trying, it's almost like this fast fashion thing, bringing it back to that. It's like, instead of just consuming all this nonprofit, whatever here in Houston, it's like, okay, no, no, no. I'm going to focus on the things that I really enjoy. The, the, the organizations that bring me joy in, or even if it's an organization that's like what they do is not something I'm totally passionate about, but I'm passionate about the people who run the organization. And I know that what they're doing is making a difference. I'm going to invest myself and my time and my money and my company's time and money into that because that's important and that's something that I want to grow. And I, you know, it, I've spent a lot of time, even I think this has gone hand in hand with, I mean, it's a lot of different things in my life that would take novel on the scale of war and peace to kind of um, wrap my head around but it's sort of a lot of different things of coming to ter terms with my own purpose and meaning in life and what it is that I'm supposed to be doing um, and connecting to that purpose over the past couple of years that has really informed not only my business decisions but the way in which I use my time um and that's why even like working on this mass project with Corona, it's like, you know, I really was hesitant just to do it for the sake of doing it because other people were doing it. Um, and I think before I would have felt like this knit, this like sense of like, oh, I've got to do this because this is like, I've got to be perceived as something and doing it. And I had to find a real organic reason or a way that I could connect to it and like make a difference and kind of do it 
for me thoughtfully. Um, and now it's like, okay, I've, we've created a system. We know how to do it. Like I feel good about the product that we're creating and let's charge full steam ahead with this project. And it brings me so much joy to be able to do it and to have that purpose. Well, I'm so happy to hear you say that. And um, I have to tell you, I can definitely, I can definitely relate um, to choosing how you, you know, choosing how you spend your time and spending more of your time on what brings you joy and not really wanting to do necessarily what everybody else is doing. Um, I have had so many just aha moments in the last few weeks around how much I was doing that I felt like I had to be doing because the people Mm -hmm. around me were doing it. Um, And I'm just like, I'm just over it. I'm just over it. I realized that like I bring so much more to the table when I bring myself to the table instead of bringing who I think I should be to the table. Um, That's been a huge eye opener for me. I also read this really funny meme saying like, I used to think that I didn't that my house was such a mess because I didn't have time to clean it. And now I realize that time wasn't the problem. (laughs) Like there are a lot of things that I always thought like, I'm not doing this because I don't have time to do it. And now I don't now I have more time. And like, I'm just it's just not that important to me. Okay. Um, You know, it's showing me that as well. So, um, you know, I, uh, I think it's a real eye opener and I'm really inspired to see how you are, you know, using your business to make a difference and, and being intentional with it. And thank you for everything you shared with us today. I'm not going to test my Wi-Fi's luck any further because I think we've gotten so much out of this conversation and I don't want any more of it to get um, shaken up by crazy Wi-Fi connection. I'm still working out all these kinks, um, but I've had such a great conversation with you, David, and I don't think this will be our last time on the show. I love talking to you and I love your wisdom and insight. And I want to thank you again for everything you're doing and for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I think even just being on this and having this conversation with you, I think it's just so important taking the time to talk about these issues and, um, you know, just stopping and, and processing is so important. And we haven't always been in the habit of doing that. And um, I think it's, I learn the most when I am teaching or talking about something like, you you know, you, you kind of absorb things by osmosis sometimes and don't really synthesize it. Um, and then when you start talking about it, you're like, Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like I, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so thank you for having me. And, um, I love that you are doing this and creating oh, this platform. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. And thank you for everyone who's listening for joining and, hanging in there through the, um, through the audio issues. I will be working on those through the coming weeks and I appreciate your patience. You've been listening to look ma no hands. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose. Shoot me a DM. Tell me more of what you want to hear during this crazy time in our world. I love hearing your suggestions and reaching out to people you want to hear from. And um, I hope you'll join us again next week. We'll talk to you very soon.